that soothing methods can only work if it's also soothing us at the same time. Uh Otherwise, it's not going to work because it might take a while for our baby to soothe. And the entire time they're going to be going, is she soothed? Is she stressed? Our need for connection is a key driver of human behavior and motivation. And this begins the moment that we're born. Now, music is an incredibly effective and simple strategy for that connection and for fostering attachment. And in this episode, you're going to hear exactly why that is. I am so excited to be joined today by Varid, the founder of Baby in Tune. Varid is a mom, a music therapist, a psychotherapist, an award-winning musician. She perfectly blends all of this into her music classes to help parents learn how music can be a vehicle for understanding their baby and connecting more deeply. This episode is full of actionable tips you can start using with your child today, no matter how old they are, as well as a breakdown of how these strategies affect the brain and the body and why they work to help us calm ourselves as well as our child. Do you sometimes feel that while you love parenthood, it's also overwhelming, messy, confusing, and not always exactly what you thought it would be? Do you wish that you could stop worrying if you're doing it right and just feel confident trusting yourself? Let me clue you into one of the best kept secrets that I have discovered through my own clinical practice and my years as a mother. When you understand the basics of child development, psychology, and neurobiology, you are able to work with your child's brain and body rather than fight against it. You develop a true sense of confidence and you feel in control knowing that you're prepared to navigate whatever challenge parenthood might throw your way. And that is exactly why I created The Authentic Parent, finding your confidence in your child's first year. Whether you're a brand new parent, or maybe you're thinking about how to approach a second or third child with a different set of skills, this six-week course will arm you with all the knowledge you need to feel grounded and confident in your parenting journey. Enrollment is limited, so make sure to sign up for the waitlist now. Go to my website, drsarahbren.com forward slash TAP to sign up and learn more. Let's increase your confidence and help you create a strong parent-child relationship to use as your parenting compass. Don't miss your chance to take part in The Authentic Parent and learn to confidently move through parenthood during your child's first year. Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Bren, a clinical psychologist and mom of two. In this podcast, I've taken all of my clinical experience, current research on brain science and child psychology, and the insights I've gained on my own parenting journey, and distilled everything down into easy to understand and actionable parenting insights, so you can tune out the noise and tune into your own authentic parenting voice with confidence and calm. This is Securely Attached. Hi, I'm so excited to welcome to the podcast today the very talented Varid. She is an incredible musician. She makes music for for families and kids and parents, and I'm a huge fan. We listen to her on repeat in our kitchen every morning, Um, and I'm just so grateful for you to be here. 
I am so excited because I've sung with you and your kids. And so I love that we've connected through that and professionally. So um, I'm so glad that you have this podcast and that I can be here with you. Yes. It's funny. Yeah. We've, our paths have crossed multiple different times in life because I, when my son was born, I lived in Brooklyn and that's where your music classes when they were all in person were originally happening. Yeah. And I, I'd found you and I was like, I really want to take this music class because I was so intrigued by your approach. It felt so different than like the mommy and me music classes that I had seen. And I wasn't able to, I think because of like nap times or something, but but like eventually I got to a place where I was able to take your music class with both my kids um, once you started offering it virtually. So yeah, I know. I wish we had met in person in Brooklyn. That would have been amazing, but we did eventually connect and that was really good too on Zoom when everyone moved to Zoom. I know. And in a weird way, like I would have loved to have an in-person music class with you too, but almost the fact that it was available on Zoom and like it made it so much more accessible. And it was like really, like it didn't feel like there was anything lost in it. Like there was so much music, even though we weren't with in a, in a, in a room all together. Yeah, I know. I, I found that those Zoom, the Zoom classes were so meaningful, um, you know, just, and it surprised me because I was so mm-hmm. scared to move to Zoom, but it really did surprise me that people still wanted and found a way to connect to each other, to their babies, to me. It was, it was meaningful. Yeah. And I only wish I could have done it when my son was a baby because I was able to do, Sadie was like 10 or 12 months. She was, might've been like almost, almost one year when I did it with 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 you virtually, but I really wish I had done it when they were babies because I was in this class with moms who had babies and I was like, I get it. I get why this would be so valuable as the mom, like yes. as the mom of a newborn needing that connection. And, and so be, let's help people get a little sense of like why what you do is different, why it's a little bit unique, because this is not a normal mommy and me baby music class. Right. Right. Um, Okay. So I think, I think the uniqueness comes just as, is like a, like an umbrella statement in that I'm trying to work on connection like you. It's really all about attachment. I'm very informed by attachment theory. Um, I'll talk about my education in a second, but I am trying to give parents ways to implement the theory through music, through tone, rhythm, ways to really understand and connect with your baby. It's kind of like ways to have these moments during your day of connection. Because of course, there are many non-connected moments that we all have that, that are just inevitable of like, I need to wash the dishes. I need to zone out. I need to call a friend. I need to, you know, feel angry at my baby. I need to just take a nap, whatever it is. There are mm-hmm. plenty where we're checked out, but I feel like my mission is to help the parent find their way to the baby to connect and, and explain how that looks and like really give tools for how to do it. And you have a unique vantage point when it comes to introducing this way of connecting because you, yes, you are a very talented musician, but you are also a therapist. 
Right. So I started out, um, so I was in the East Village and I wanted to be a rock star. And so I was doing music at that time and I recorded a couple albums. And then I went to study music therapy at NYU. It was kind of a way to support myself while I was, you know, on my rock star track. And I, uh, I ended up working at Bellevue in the psychiatric unit. I worked with kids. I worked with different populations at the time in addiction as well. And, um, and then I got pregnant. And at that point, I thought, am I really going to keep trying to be a rock star? I mean, now I'm pregnant. Now I have responsibility. And I actually decided to give up on the music. I don't know if you know this whole story, but I actually decided to give up on it. And I went to study psychology in a clinical psychology program. And I thought, okay, that's it. Now I'm going to be, you know, a therapist full time. I had the baby and it was really hard. As it is having, I mean, I was also in this PhD program and I had this baby and I wasn't feeling connected at all. I mean, I, nursing was a complete disaster. Obviously I was exhausted and all that stuff. And I was overextending myself and, you know, I didn't sing at all. I wasn't singing Mm -hmm. a note, nothing for the first months. And, And my husband sang like a lark. I remember watching, I was like, doing that triple pumping and feeding and all that Mm -hmm. stuff because nursing was so awful. And I remember seeing my husband singing and I was thinking, what's going on? I'm not connected. My music is not like I had given up on the music and all this stuff. And it took me a while to really find the connection. And, And for me, it happened through the music. It happened when I finally said, I'm going to try to sing to this baby right now. And I remember that the minute I did it, the way he looked at me and the way I felt, because the thing about music is that it bypasses the intellect, you know, it's, it's very emotional. Mm-hmm. That's part of the reason babies prefer to hear us sing rather than speak precisely because it's emotional. Talking yeah. can be very intellectual and they pick up on that. And so in that moment, he was feeling it. I was feeling it. And I just... I got it. I, I was like, okay, I, I've been sort of denying this, putting that on the shelf, but music is needed here because babies, that's their language. Their language is melody and body language and facial expression, you know, all these things. We, when we, let's say, meet a stranger at a party, let's say, we're, we're listening to their language, but we're picking up on their body, their voice, their face. That's the language for babies is, mm-hmm. is body, voice, face. And so I, I finally just got it. And then I started baby in tune by, I wrote this album, my first album, good morning, my love of all these songs that I wrote with him and eventually recorded them. And, um, yeah. And then, and then it really all came together. And I was, I was lucky because I think for so many people having a baby derails you from your career and you're just like, what, who am I again? Uh But for me, it, actually brought all the pieces together, you know, the music therapist, the mom, the rock star, the, ther- the psychotherapist. So. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And that's like the most beautiful story too, because it really, it's the music is this like connector. It, it allows you to like reconnect. And I had a similar, like when my second, when my daughter was born, I had postpartum depression with her mm-hmm. and it was really hard to feel connected to her, which was really jarring for me because 
I didn't have that with my first. I didn't have mm-hmm. that experience with my son. And so the absence of that connection felt like double whammy to me. It felt like I knew it was missing and mm-hmm. that freaked me out. And it was really, for me, music is always a big part of our life, but it was, for me, it was actually play with her. Like being able to sit and watch her play, just observe, just sit and watch her figure things out started to be the the connector for me. That mm-hmm. like observation, the sitting back, just stopping, fixing, stopping, doing, just being. Mm-hmm. And that helped. Actually, the song you wrote, Little Bird, I remember listening to that. She was on the floor. My son was doing something. And she's on the floor playing and I was sitting there feeling just really overwhelmed. It was, I was on my maternity leave and Mm -hmm. that song came on and I hadn't heard it before. And I was listening to the lyrics and I just started crying, Mm -hmm. like crying so hard because it was like my total Mm -hmm. truth. Mm -hmm. It was so, it was exact. And the lyrics are amazing. It was like, what are, remind me, because I can't even um, rhyme. Because you're like a bird who flies out of the nest when no one's watching on your own time. You learn to touch the sky all by yourself when no one's watching. It's really something. My oh. little bird, it's like you just need a nest for when you want to rest. And I think what made, uh, first of all, thank you for singing that because I just got so moved. And also, look, I'm crying right now. But when my, when I was listening to that, it would, what it did for me in that moment was it gave me this, because I had this guilt. This was like the narrative of my, of my postpartum depression with her was this guilt because I wasn't giving her what I had given my son. I wasn't giving my son what I was used to giving him. And so I was sitting there being like, I'm so feeling so guilty. And when I heard this song about this, this second child who basically just, she does things on her own. She doesn't need you to be everything for her. She's independent and she is fine. And, but she does need a nest when she wants to rest. She'll come back to you Mm. when she needs you to fill her up so that you don't have to feel like you have to feel so guilty chasing and chasing and chasing this impossible task of being everything for every kid, but to be there for when they need you. And it was like this, like lifting off Mm. of my shoulders, this huge burden. So, Oh, I got the chills as you were saying that. Um, You know, the thing is that we, with the first, we all have this misconception that we're so needed Mm -hmm. that we are, we we need (laughs) to be involved in every single aspect and we actually don't. And we only gain the wisdom, you know, like, look, if there are any first time parents listening to this, I hope you can hear, although we, we can't fully absorb it, you know, but like, they actually don't need much. They need us to give them shelter, to feed them, to make sure their body's working, hygiene, all that. And then they kind of need us to just step back and let them do their thing to kind of just allow the space for it. And yeah, I think I also had the guilt, which of, which of course is where that song came out of, but it was from that moment of realizing, oh, wow, actually this second one is like so much more independent and so less looking at me for approval from every step of the way. And that's because mm-hmm. he actually had the space to, to fly. Right. And I think that confidence, one, it just naturally comes more 
easily with a second, in part out of necessity, in part yeah. out of just you're forced into not being able to give them everything because right. of life. But then you realize in doing that, hopefully, that that might have been an okay thing from the start, like that that your first actually might have benefited from that. And actually, you know, I practice uh, Rye, you know, the Rye parenting philosophy a lot with my kids, yes. um, which is a which really does sort of remind parents to to do a little bit less to yeah. sit back, not without our presence, right? To not ignore our kids yes. or not be with our kids. Our presence is critical, but that's enough. Like yes. we don't have to be grabbing the toys for them and dangling them in their face and putting on a show and solving all the problems. We can just be there and be observing and watch them kind of explore the world on their own terms and on yes. their own time. And that that's actually a huge strength builder, like resilience builder for our kids. Exactly. Yes. That trust. It's trust. Right. On both sides. And it's, it's trusting them to know, um, to know, trusting that they know where to go. You know, I always tell the parents in my classes, like, we think that we are the PhD, you know, that we need to like teach our baby things when actually we're just like the, the research assistant. That's it. We're just there assisting them in their exploration. And like you're saying, we're present there. We're looking, we're watching, noticing, but we're not leading it in no. best case scenario. Yeah. And I think one of our jobs is to be sort of the, the emotion regulator, right? Mm -hmm. The, their external nervous system. And we can do that they're the thinkers. We're the, we are the containers. Mm -hmm. So like we can do that through music, right? right? Like we could do that through other ways of engaging with our kid. And we could do this with our breath. We can do this with our body language. All these things that you're talking about that are really kind of pivotal in music. So yeah. music's like a beautiful example of this, yeah. but we use it to like kind of help keep them in the lines of, of, yes emotion regulation of staying regulated. So when they start to get agitated, we can help create just like a little buffer zone yes. with whether it's music or other ways of interacting with them, touch, just, you know, being there to bring them back in just a little bit, not turn it off, not turn that distress off, but to say, oh, you're getting a little upset. Let's see what's happening. Let me be curious. Why are you crying right now? Can I like, and then just kind of pull them back in. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. I love that. Yeah. How do you, so when you're working with parents and you're working, like crying is crying and, and soothing is a big part of the work that you do. Can you talk yes. a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, so let's start with, with little babies. Um, one of the first things that I work on with parents coming with little babies or zero to eight months is starting to think about their own voice as another pair of hands. You know, we kind of, we think of our arms as the only way to hold, but our voice is another way to hold. As long as we really tune in to our tonality, to the tone, which has to do with breathing, with diaphragm, you know, with body posture, all this stuff, we can really alter our tone and make our tone more soothing, really, you know, 
it does have to do with relaxing our own body because, of course, babies are like little emotional antennas constantly checking how stressed is mom. So if we can find this relaxed tonality, our, our voice can be like arms. And not only that, sometimes better because when the baby's in the back seat and we, don't, we can't hold them, we can use our voice. And when the baby, one mom told me, the other day that she had her toddler in the bath and the baby was in the other room in the bouncy seat and the baby started crying and she started doing this soothing thing we'll talk about in a second and then the baby was soothed because she could kind of soothe the baby long distance with her voice Uh so the first is really just realizing the power of voice and we do some exercises in class to kind of open it up feel more resonant um, but, but, you know, the, the simplest way to it is just to take deep breaths. And by the way, if someone's out there going, oh, forget it, done. I'm not a singer. I can't use my voice. I'm not going to listen to this. It's actually not about singing. What I'm talking about now is really just using your voice for something called vocal toning and music therapy, but it's really using your voice, um, even in speaking, you know, being aware of it. And because our, our speech with babies is very melodic, much more than with, you know, grownups where we kind of, hi, we kind of do this like a bell curve. Ah, hi, baby. So it's very melodic. When we soothe, we go, it's all right. We descend with our tone. We're, we're extremely melodic because babies need that. They actually do respond to it. They become more soothed and more alert. So the second part of soothing with a baby is is to think about this vocal toning. So when your baby is crying, they're using their voice a lot. They're really Mm -hmm. communicating with their voice. And so when we use our voice back, it's it's sort of like the way a therapist reflects their um, client and they say, I hear you. Or sometimes, you know, like a therapist, we know someone can come in and be like, well, you know, I had a bad day and I just felt very confused and don't know what to do. And the therapist might say, you had a bad day, you felt confused and you don't know what to do, right? Like sometimes a therapist can repeat verbatim and someone will go, yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So when we use our voice back with our baby, it's really a way to reflect and to say, I hear you. I'm here with you. So um, one thing we do is is what I call the soothing method, which is a way to, to help parents use their voice in this way. I mean, obviously, you can sing a song. You can improvise and use your voice in a way that you feel is right. That's awesome. But if you want another idea... What, what I teach is, first of all, to bounce to the rhythm of your song. So let's say you're holding your baby. You're bouncing to the rhythm of whatever song you're hearing or song you're singing. It sounds obvious, but we don't actually always do it. So one thing is to really, because babies want to be in sync with a the rhythm. There's a lot of studies showing that babies understand rhythm. They want to be in sync with it. Yeah, soothing. Because they probably feel it in their body. I mean, we think about it when we feel something in our body, we kind of move to it. I always joke that I always see like, or even I would do this when I was a new mom, like other babies would cry and I'd just start bouncing. Totally. You know, like you just, I can't not bounce when I see. I know. I know. Same here. Yes. And it's because they were in our belly. They were, they were bouncing around with our walking. They heard our heartbeat. There's so many, there's so much rhythm that happened to them even before they were born. The second thing is that we use the vowel O. O is um, a soothing sound. Like we say, oh, 
or ohm. And we, you know, oh, it's okay. So the vowel O, and then we rock between two notes, just like you're bouncing with your body, you rock with your voice. And the fourth is to take deep breaths so that you'll relax your body. So it'll sound kind of like this. So like imagine your baby's crying and they kind of do this wavering too. It kind of sounds like a siren, right? By the way, ambulance sirens are based on baby's cries because we are wired to respond to it. Mm-hmm. So when we're doing this kind of vocal toning and reflecting back, we, we kind of use our voice in this way to say, yes, I'm here. I hear you with our voice too. Um, and then we can also hold notes is another way to do it. But, you know, when you're, let's say, let's say you're in the car and the baby's in the backseat, you really want to like make your voice big by, you can put your hand on your chest and make sure it's like vibrating even more. Um, and just take in deep breaths, drop your jaw so that you really change your tone to be as resonant as you can. That's what's really going to work. So that's one thing we do with the little ones regarding soothing. I, that makes me wonder too, from like a n- nervous system perspective, if when you're making your voice more resonant, if a child is actually feeling the vibration more, which actually activates their parasympathetic nervous system. Is that what's happening? Yes. Yes. And it's happening to us. So it's a feedback loop because it's like an internal massage for us and we're vibrating our own body. And yes, singing and music lowers our cortisol. It regulates our heart rate because we're taking in regular breaths as we sing. Yeah. Exactly. And by the way, this works really well when men do it because they uh, are vibrating even more in their chest. It's like a vibrating chair. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. really a nice one. I was thinking, I've always had this theory um, that parents instinctively hum to their kids because humming activates, stimulates the vagus nerve, which activates the parasympathetic mm-hmm. nervous system. And that not just for our kids, but for us, so that we can stay regulated when our child is dysregulated, when we hum. Yes, exactly. And humming is kind of, it creates more of a vibration inside mm-hmm. your body. It's sort of like you're creating this, this closed vessel with the humming that keeps the vibration, um, like a, like a guitar kind of. Yeah. Um, yes, exactly. One of the reasons I love this soothing method is that it is, I, I think that soothing methods can only work if it's also soothing us at the same time. Uh-huh. Otherwise, it's not going to work because it might take a while for our baby to soothe. And the entire time they're going to be going, is she soothed? Is she stressed? Right. And unless mama gets stressed or dad gets, you know, or unless mama gets calms down, baby's not going to. So my soothing method has to be working on me as well. Yeah. And I mean, I talk about this all the time that, so our nervous systems are so interconnected and our kids need us to co-regulate and we can't co-regulate unless we are a regulated presence. And co-regulation literally means using our calm nervous system to communicate safety to their nervous system so their nervous system can get out of fight or flight and into like a calm, safe space. Yes. So yeah, anything that we do to soothe our kids kind of requires us to be calm. Exactly. And it's exactly. Kind of, I do think you can fake it till you make it a little bit, but you really can't trick a nervous system. 
Yeah, because if we're bouncing quickly, let's go to the bouncing thing for a second. Yeah. We're bouncing and we're not going to the rhythm and we're just bouncing, bouncing, bouncing. That actually stresses the body. That yeah. can be very stressful. But if we just kind of like put on music or sing a song and go to the rhythm, it just it, it's that dance. Why do we love to dance? Because we love to be in sync with someone. So not only is it um, calming our parasympathetic nervous system, like you're saying, but it's also making us in sync with the baby, which mm -hmm. feels good. We want to be in sync with others. That's why that's why we started dancing is because we wanted to be in sync with the people around us. Mm -hmm. So uh, it works on so many levels. And like you're saying, if you're not calming yourself, yeah, it, it's just not going to work. So using all of these tools that we have to take deep breaths and calm ourselves. I know. I know. It sounds oversimplistic, but really at the end of the day, there's some science behind it as you, you were sort of explaining. Yes. Also, yeah. I see how, I feel how this works for babies and for parents of babies, but I also have like lived how it works for older kids. Like I use your strategies with my toddlers on a regular basis and it's helpful. So yeah, let's talk about how how we can use these methods with older ones. So um, first of all, the lullaby is huge. Um, mm. I, if there are parents out there listening who don't yet have to have a lullaby, please, your homework is to find one. Speak to your parents, ask them what lullaby was sung to them, talk to your partner. The reason the lullaby works goes back to Pavlov's dogs, you know, behavioral cues. It's the idea that just to remind people that when you, you know, he rang a bell and the dogs came and ate and he rang the bell and the dogs came and ate. And eventually he rang the bell and the dogs salivated just at the sound of the bell. Why? Because this, this cue was repetitive. He did it every day. It was consistent. It was always the same trigger, this bell. And it was a very identifiable trigger. This bell was, was very clear. So mm -hmm. if the more you have a song that you're going to sing every night or every time you're putting your baby to sleep, your baby is going to have a physical reaction to this song. And it really does work because singing and music is a very identifiable trigger for babies. They, they're so tuned into music and this really does become, they will start to yawn just at the sound of the lullaby after only, you know, a couple months of hearing it. And then it's the thing that's portable that you can use anywhere in the airplane or wherever. Then you, then what I really love about it is that you can give the, teach the song to the nanny. And when you're gone, the nanny sings the song. And not only does it have that same effect, but it's also, I always think of it as like an emotional transitional object. It's like, yes. it's not just the passy that you're transferring, but, you, but it transfers over all of the emotions that were felt when you sang this lullaby to baby. So now when someone mm -hmm. else sings this lullaby, your baby is feeling all of those warm, fuzzy feelings that you had at bedtime when you sang. And so it's so teach the daycare people. So having a lullaby is so helpful. And yes. I think for years, I mean, like I still sometimes sing it to my seven-year-old. Mm -hmm. And, and I think whether you, we talked about transitional objects, which I think is so important. It's, um, 
before they're able to hold an object in their mind, before they're able to pull up like the image of the soothing object, they can access music. So like they can hear that song in their head or hum that song to themselves or think that song in their mind and eventually sing that song to themselves. And that is like an internalized that's the internalization of that transitional object. That's going to happen faster with music than like a lovey or, um, you know, it, it's just something they always have access to. Yes. Yes. And I'm sure that a lot of people listening have had that exact experience of then the baby lying in the dark room singing to themselves. Yes. Yes. Because they do learn it and you're right. And then they become their own soother their own lullaby maker, which is, uh, it's the sweetest thing. Um, and, and the same goes for, this is less about soothing, but the same goes for all routine moments, you know, for, Mm -hmm. for having them. I love when people have a morning song. I don't know if you have one, but I, I always had one and it, it was like the reunion moment, you know, it's this moment of we've been separated, but now we connect with a song, which is this emotional connection. And we sing the song even before we go out into the chaos, into the light. Like we have this moment of connection that's so joyful and exciting. And not only that says to the baby, this is morning. I did not sing this song at 4 a.m. when you woke up. So it's also kind of this behavioral cue once again. And, And again, it like goes into years. I mean, I sing it to my daughter this morning. Yeah. You know what my morning song is, don't you? What is it's it? Good Morning, My Love. Oh, I love that. It is. I've, been, I've always sing it because it's easy. it was an easy one for me to memorize. I got that one down. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. This, I always call this the preschool teacher technique. You know, it's not actually a technique to have songs during these moments. But I think about the preschool teacher who had the cleanup song. You know, Mm -hmm. and like, what do kids do when they hear the cleanup song? They sort of start moving like robots and like picking up the toys and putting them away because they're hearing clean up, clean up, everybody everywhere. And it just creates this action, this behavior. It is. It's a prompt. It's a total prompt. My my kids will sing it at home when they're, you know, because their teacher taught it to them at school and they'll come home and they'll do it on their own when they're cleaning up. It becomes their like inner narrative to help them kind of move through a task. And I also think much like you were talking about using music to soothe a baby and to think about, we were talking about like, what's our job as these like external emotion regulators mm-hmm. of always kind of having our finger on the pulse of affect and being able to, to, to feel when it's getting too big and being able to very unintrusively dial it back down very naturally, you know, not turn it off, not distract, not, you know, not remove it, but just like we've got our hands on the dials. And I feel like music, I use that with my toddlers all the time. Like when things are getting a little hairy, when fighting is starting, they're getting a little, like if they're at an age right now, they're two and a half and four, they fight. And like when I feel that tension or when they're really resisting a transition, I use it a lot with transitions. But those are times when I'll find myself just naturally, like I don't, it's not like a conscious thing. I just start singing. I'm not even singing a song. I'm telling them what we're doing or I'm telling them not to do something, but I sing it. Mm. Just, it just comes out of my mouth that way. And I think it's because I, 
I'm trying to maintain that lightness in the affect and trying to dial it back down. And singing is a really good way to kind of chill things out. Yes. I love that you do that. Just sort of like saying what you want to say, but in song, it's exactly what you're saying. It really dissipates the intensity and your kids' ears probably perk up uh-huh. and they're like, oh, this is interesting. Yeah. And, and it keeps and- me from yelling because I probably want to yell <laughs> what I'm saying. Like, let's go guys. Let's get up the stairs. But instead yeah. I have my up the stairs song, which you helped me write actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I love that. And I, I really encourage parents to write their, you know, really the best are like your own songs that you write for these exact moments that are so hard of like, what do you sing when they're fighting? If you can come up with like a sibling fighting song and you sing Uh it every time, it really will have the same effect of like, Oh, she's singing the song. I guess, I guess we're, we're done for a little bit, you know, (laughs) kind of like create this little signal of, Uh, this is this is what we sing when we're when we're finishing it. I have to say too that it. I really felt this music um, helping with transitions and dissipating a moment last year. So I was in a I was on a road trip wait, wait, right with my family. We spent the whole year driving around the United States, and a lot of it was in the car. And I've got three kids from ages seven to thirteen. And there were moments that were like so high intensity and uh-huh. stressful in the car of like, I need this food and whatever. And don't open the window and da, 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 da. why did you touch me? All those moments. And what yeah. I would do, <laughs> speaking <laughs> of hands on the dial, literally, I would try to like slowly sneak in some music. If I did it right away, obviously, they'd be like, don't turn on the music. But if I did it sneaky and kind of like, <laughs> like fade in. I, it's like you're I, DJing it, your children. <laughs> yes, I was DJing them. And it was unbelievable that within like a minute of the music being on, everything became quiet. It, every, it was just like so phenomenal for me to... To, to kind of see this again, because we were in such this pressure cooker situation of the car a lot, just to see, wow, that the power of this music right now, when you turn something on and how it just kind of lifts, there's something about it that lifts our, our um, there's no more like focus on these little minute details. It sort of takes us out a little bit and helps us get gain some perspective or just step back for a second and mm-hmm. bring in the emotion and out this intensity of like intellectual detail. Right. Well, because it's also activating the right hemisphere. It's a That's different right. part of the brain turns on and lights up when that music comes in. Right. And that can help break up some of this more agitated, you know, amygdala action going on in the brain. Exactly. Yes. I love how you're bringing in all these brain things. Totally. I can't help it. I like, I'm, obsessed. I'm such a neuro, yes. neuro nerd. <laughs> I love it. It's great. But, oh, but no, but I resonate with that so much. And I, and I think that's really helpful to think about the fact that like, this doesn't, this is not just for babies. It's not just for toddlers. It's, you know, seven to a hundred and seven. Like yes. we are human beings. Human beings instinctively respond affectively to music and it helps parents calm down. Yes. It helps kids calm down. It helps 
everybody feel in sync, like you were saying. Yes. It's it's a it's a super starter for that attachment. Yes. And another time that it could really help is um, the witching hour. I always found that the best thing to do, and especially right now when it's cold and you can't just walk around the block, which was always my second go-to, but my first was always dance party. And it doesn't have to be a long dance party. It can be one Mm -hmm. song, right? Yeah. Just one song and you dance for the three minutes and it just like resets the entire situation. Yes. I cannot tell you how big a fan I am of dance parties. I actually use them at nighttime so a little bit after witching hour, because I felt for my kids, witching hour is like right before dinner yeah. and then kind of all the way through dinner and all the way to bedtime, actually. <laughs> but we usually, this is how I get them to go upstairs. So I will I will sort of bribe them with a dance party. Once they get their jammies on and brush their teeth, we have a dance party in mom and dad's room. They like to, what my son will call, build the bed and he'll put all of his stuffies and my his sister now does it too, where they like lay out a blanket on the floor. They put all of their stuffed animals on their blankets, which is also their stage. And they like rock out. We have like, you know, depending on how much time they have, which is another thing to help them understand like time management yeah. skills. Yes. Like the sooner we do it, the more songs we get. Yes. And we have a dance party and we rock out hard too. Like they have, they are, and I'm not afraid to of like hyper... Yeah. big stuff before bed because I actually think it helps them reset their nervous system. I don't think, I think there's a myth that everything before bed has to be like yeah. calm and quiet and subdued. And yeah. I think there's, it depends on your kids obviously, but I think my kids can totally transition to bedtime so much more easily after a nice big dance party. Yeah. A little sweating. It's like stretching kind of. Yeah. Like gets your and it's you know, really nice. muscles loose. It yeah. feels like a release and it's connected. We have fun. We're dancing with them too. So there's this like mom and dad, kid connection happening. It's fun. It's like, yes. it's just a nice reset. And then we go to bed. Yeah. And, it, and what's it. really nice too is, is using music as a timekeeper, kind of what you're saying. I mean, like, like with the cleanup song, or let's say someone has a brush your teeth song or, or a diaper changing song. This is a way to say, like, let's say my diaper changing song is, um, um, I'm going to change your diaper now, diaper now, diaper now, you know, whatever. You might do it twice through. Your baby eventually is going to get, oh, okay. She sings it twice through and then we're done. And mm-hmm. for babies, this is crucial because they don't want to be on that changing table by eight months or whatever. You know, they don't want to be lying down. They want to continue playing. And so to have a song that's a timekeeper, or like you probably say one more song, which really means three more minutes, but that would be way more abstract, right? So like songs can always be these great timekeepers of, I sing this song and that means that we're done with this thing or brushing teeth. Yes. It's like a beginning, a middle and an end or like bookends. It's very containing for a kid to feel like they know when something's going to start and end. Yes. And a song is the perfect package for that. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh, there's so many things here that I feel like so many yeah. really good takeaways for parents yeah. in this episode of like quick wins. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing we we haven't talked about yet is play, um, just shifting a little bit from the soothing, but how music can aid so much in, in play, which, mm-hmm. you know, is not directly a way to soothe, but I always think of play as like our, our secret weapon for 
any moment, you know, really any moment, if a parent is able to bring playfulness in, mm-hmm. you won. That's and and music always helps me do it, whether it's like grabbing a puppet and being like, hello, or whatever it is, mm-hmm. or just like having some rhythm, just tapping, or even games like peekaboo and or like doing a thing and then taking away, doing anything. These are all based on kind of rhythm of I do this, I stop, and then you anticipate, and then I take away. So it's kind of like these these plays of anticipation. And then it, it, it's so simple to play with kids. Really, we, we mostly have to play with just this anticipation moment. So it's mm-hmm. like repetition and anticipation, anticipating what's going to come next. It's just tuning into these rhythms of our baby and pulling that out in the most difficult moments. Yes. Which again is a regulator for us because if we can tap into our playfulness, we're tapping out of our frustration because yes. it's very hard to be playful and frustrated at the same time. So if we can if we can kind of shift into that space of playfulness, it's like the same reason I sort of sing to my kids instead of yell at my kids. Like it forces me to shift my own affect and then that's regulating for my kids. Yes. So like it's, a lot of it starts with us. Oh, and yeah. using music and playfulness to regulate our own affect so that we can then co-regulate with our kids. Yes. Yes. So it's not just working on us, but we're also modeling it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I love it. Oh, thank you so much for being here. This was like a, a very meaningful interview, I have to say. Same for me. I love talking with you. It feels so natural. I always feel like we could just talk for hours. We could. And maybe we'll have to do more because I, I, I think that there's more here. And, I, and I'd and i be very curious after listening to this episode, um, what listeners want to hear more of from like around these themes, because that we could take this in so many different directions. So if you have, yes. you know, follow up questions to any of the stuff we're talking about, just, you know, email me at hello at drsarahbren.com or you can DM me on Instagram um, at drsarahbren. And Varen, how can people get in touch with you? Like, how well, the first way is, I guess, on Instagram. Um, so baby in tune, like to tune into your baby, baby in tune. And my website is babyintune.com. So either of those places are good, good places to go. And I've got Zoom classes happening. So no matter where you are, we can either have a class in person. I've got an online course in case you don't want synchronous classes So um, definitely come find me and just say hello and say like, hey, I heard you on Sarah's podcast. That would be really fun. Yeah. And also you should definitely like search her on Spotify and like download her songs. They're so good. They're like, I'm the reason why I'm such a big fan is because I like listening to them. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's great. My kids love the songs. They're wonderful kids songs, but they're like, they have layers to them. They're a little bit like as a parent, you are like, yes, oh, I feel you on that. I like that. That's good. I sing the songs to myself all the time. So it's not like Coco Melon. I love <laughs> it's that. Like the opposite of that. <laughs> I love that. It is. So you I'll put a link in the show notes to um to your music too, because I just can't recommend it enough. Great. Thank you. All right. Well thank you for so much for being here and we will be We will be in touch soon. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye.
Do you want to hear more about the ways that you can interact with your baby to foster connection? Spoiler alert, it starts by having the confidence to tune into your parent-child relationship and your own instincts and tune out the endless noise coming your way. That kind of confidence comes from knowledge. Having a basic understanding of child development and psychology will help you know what to expect, which in turn will allow you to stop second-guessing yourself and obsessively Googling quite so much. And if you're interested in tailoring the principles of attachment theory, child development, and neurobiology to your own unique family so that you can calmly and confidently respond to any problem as it arises, connect authentically with your child, and truly enjoy parenting, then you're going to want to check out my digital course, The Authentic Parent, Finding Your Confidence in Your Child's First Year. In this six-week course, I'm going to break down the foundational basics into simple-to-understand and actionable insights so you can parent from an informed and confident headspace. To learn more about The Authentic Parent and to sign up for the waitlist, go to drsarahbren.com forward slash T-A-P. That's D-R-S-A-R-A-H-B-R-E-N dot com slash T-A-P. Space is limited, so add your name to the list today and be one of the first to get access to register for my February session. Thanks for listening, and don't be a stranger. 